Welcome to Piney Ridge Church. My name is Steve Hopped. I'm one of three pastors here at Piney Ridge. It's my privilege to bring the message tonight. You know, a lot of churches, when they have Good Friday services, they, they make the sermon solemn and sad and somber. And with the idea of, of creating a, a, a dark mood so that we feel the heaviness of um, not only Jesus' suffering, but also feel the heaviness of how the disciples and the followers of Christ must have felt on that Friday night and all day Saturday, and to create maybe just the opportunity to then rejoice even more on Sunday morning as we celebrate the resurrection. Yeah, well, I'm not going to do that tonight. It's my intention, rather, to talk about what is good about Good Friday. I've chosen a passage tonight where that highlights the, the treasure chest full of blessings and benefits that Jesus earned for his brothers and sisters on the cross. These blessings and benefits are a source of joy to all of God's people. It's the joy even when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus endured the agony of the cross for the joy set before him, at least in part that joy that Jesus was looking to, the joy that allowed him to endure, was the joy that he had in the blessings and the benefits that he was earning for the people of God. And it's that joy then that he imparts to us as we, as we ponder the cross and as we ponder all that Jesus has done for us, all that he has earned for us by his death. And so, as I said, it's my intention to highlight what's good about Good Friday. But when I was a kid, I thought, well, that's a lame name for a day, Good Friday. I mean... What was good about it, right? The guy who came to save the world was captured, railroaded into a death sentence, tortured, and then executed by the Romans in, in a way that they had devised to maximize the pain and the shame suffered by the criminal before death. And even after I trusted Jesus for my salvation, I still thought, man... There's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and a lot of agony to call it Good Friday. And I wonder if some of you perhaps have similar thoughts. I wonder if you've thought those same things, and maybe some of you are thinking those things tonight. And so it's my hope that I will convince you this evening that Good Friday really is good news for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And even if I don't need to convince you, I pray that as we go through this passage tonight, that your hearts will be overflowing with worship and joy, and that as you head into Resurrection Sunday, that you will be filled with gratitude for all that Jesus earned for you on the cross. And so tonight... I'm going to uh, bring the message from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, 
verses 13 to 15. I invite you to stand now in honor of the Word of God as I read the passage. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you will put on full display for us tonight the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ in his suffering, the glory of Christ in, in all that he accomplished by his death on the cross and all that was accomplished by his resurrection. And Lord, I pray that, that for those maybe who are not yet trusting in you, I pray, Lord, that you might enlighten the eyes of their minds and their hearts to believe the gospel for the first time. And for those who are trusting, Lord, I pray that they will behold your glory and thereby be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, our passage tonight gives us at least three reasons why Good Friday is good news. But before we get to the good news, if you look at verse 13, you'll notice that Paul doesn't start with good news. He starts with bad news. He says, you were dead in your trans trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. We were all born spiritually dead. And did you know that dead people cannot do anything? I had the privilege, actually, of being in the hospital room with my mother and my sister when my dad passed away. And uh, we watched him take his final breath. We could see on the monitor his heart beat for the last time, and the nurse came in and pronounced him dead. And we gathered around him, and we prayed. And it was, a, it was a, actually a joyful moment because we knew my dad was out of our presence and in the presence of the Lord. And then my mom did a funny thing. It seemed funny to me. I don't know if I laughed at the time, but looking back now, it, it seems kind of funny. She was really concerned with how my, my dad's appearance. She didn't like that his mouth was open somewhat. And so my mom said to him, sweetheart, close your mouth. Now, I don't know if she thought that somehow maybe his spirit was in the room and was going to come back. He'd close his mouth and then go. I don't know what she was thinking, but she said it several times. Honey, close your mouth. But guess what? He didn't close his mouth because he had passed away. His spirit had left his body. He couldn't hear my mom, and he couldn't respond to my mom because dead people can't respond to anything. 
And while we were all physically alive at birth, we were all spiritually dead at birth because of the sin of Adam, but also just because that's how we're born under the curse. We can't respond to God. We can't, as some people say, reach out and take a spiritual lifesaver that has been thrown to us. We have no desire for God. All of our desires are against God to resist His will. We are dead to God. We are spiritually dead. And yet God, because of his great love for us, because of the, his great mercy, he sent his son to take on human flesh and to live a life of perfect obedience to the Father. And that perfect obedience took Jesus to Good Friday and to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus satisfied the justice of God by absorbing the wrath of God on behalf of all those who place their faith in him. Only the death of a perfect sacrifice can atone for sin. And Jesus was the only person suitable to be that perfect sacrifice. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation this evening... First of all, praise the Lord. Second of all, it is because you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were called out of death as surely as Lazarus was called out of death when Jesus stood at the door of his tomb and said, Lazarus, arise. And when God saved you, you were united with Christ in his death. And as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, you were crucified with Christ. Your old way of life was put to death on the cross. And you are to walk and live in that reality. You are called, if you want to follow Jesus, to take up your cross and follow him. You're called to crucify your sinful desires. You're called to crucify those habits that lead you away from God. You're called to crucify your sinful thoughts that lead you toward a road that leads to death. You're called to crucify your sinful words that dispense death and not life. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of the Son of God that he shed on the cross. But look at verse 13 there in Colossians 2. It doesn't say God made you dead together with Christ. What does it say? It says God made you alive together with Christ. And I don't think Jason is going to be offended if I give a little spoiler for his Easter sermon Jesus didn't stay dead. He burst forth out of that tomb alive, not just alive like Lazarus was, but alive with a resurrection body that would never die. And Colossians 2 says that you, God made alive 
together with Christ. You're made alive in union with Christ. No longer spiritually dead, but alive to God. Spiritually alive for all eternity, but still living in a mortal physical body that will die, but will one day be raised with a body like Jesus. And not only should you live in the reality that your old self was crucified, but also you should live in the reality that you are reborn as a new person, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. I want you to listen to Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So brothers and sisters, live as people who are crucified with Christ, but also live as people who are raised together with Christ. Seek to be more like Him. Seek to minister life to your family. Seek to minister life to your friends. Seek to minister life to your neighbors. Seek to minister life to the world. Set your minds on things that are above. And don't be Don't have it fixed on things that are on the earth. Live as people whose lives are hidden with Christ in God. Good Friday is good news because God made you alive together with Christ. Secondly, Good Friday is good news because in Christ, all your trespasses have been forgiven. Whenever the Romans would crucify a criminal, they would put a placard on the cross that would list the charges against that person. And the gospel tells us that Pilate had this put above Jesus. It said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Well, the Jewish leaders didn't like that. They didn't want him to be their king. And so they went and complained to Pilate. And Pilate said... I've written what I've written. Now, Pilate didn't believe in any king other than Caesar, but his words had the authenticity of truth. Jesus Christ was indeed the king of the Jews. He was the prophesied Messiah. He was the one to whom the Jewish people could have turned, and he would have saved them. He was the one who stood on the Mount of Olives just the week prior and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And then those fateful words, you were not willing The Jewish leaders and most of the Jewish people rejected Jesus as their king. 
They didn't think he was the kind of king they wanted. They wanted some big, powerful king that would roust the Romans out of the land, that would subdue them and, and give them the, the ability to govern themselves once again. They didn't think Jesus was that kind of king. How blind they were. How blind they were because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to do that very thing, not just in the Holy Land, but in the entire earth. He is going to come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But they didn't want to submit to him as their Lord. And today, we may have people here who, who are rejecting Jesus who don't want him to be their Lord. They don't, you may not think that he's the kind of king you want. But let me tell you, Jesus is exactly the kind of king you want. He's the kind of king that, in whom you will find everlasting fulfillment as a human being, in whom you will have everlasting peace, in whom you will have everlasting joy in his presence and in whom you will find forgiveness. Paul paints a graphic picture for us because he says that when Jesus was on that cross with that placard above him that said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, he said God nailed something else to the cross. He nailed the list of all your sins, if you're trusting Jesus for your salvation. Can you picture it? Can you picture Jesus hanging there in agony? And on the cross is listed every one of your sins. The most hideous, depraved things that you've done. Out there in the open for all to see Jesus died for those sins. God charged Jesus with those sins if you're trusting in him for your salvation. Let that sit on you for a moment. Feel the weight of that. Feel the weight of the seriousness of sin that it costs the Son of God his life. But don't stay there. Don't wallow in guilt for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Can I get an amen on that? Look at verse 14. By charging Jesus with your trespasses, punishing him for your sin, he canceled your record of debt. He forgave all of your trespasses. Take a moment to let that sink in and let your heart be glad and rejoice. Think of the most hideous, depraved things you've ever done. Jesus' blood is powerful enough to forgive you of that. It's all been wiped away. It's been separated from you and from God as far as the east is from the west. It's as if they've all been thrown into the deepest part of the ocean, never to surface again. 
You've been forgiven all of your trespasses. And brothers and sisters, that is good news. I wonder how many of you who are believers still wrestle with feeling condemned for sins that you've committed. Yeah, I, I can accept that God forgave me for lying to my sister when I was eight. But that one thing, or many, well, those many things that I did, does Christ really forgive me of that? I still feel condemned by that. I have struggled with that. If you're struggling with that tonight, I just want you to know you're not alone. I've struggled with it. But listen, it is time for us to recognize that Jesus willingly went to the cross, resolutely, as Pastor Jason said last week, went to the cross to pay for our most depraved thoughts and actions. We're going to be starting the book of Hebrews the first of May, and, and in Hebrews, we're going to hear that Jesus is now our eternal high priest who continuously makes intercession for us, and thus, listen, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. I take that to mean that no matter how bad my sin has been, Jesus is able to forgive that. Our sin is great, but Jesus is greater. Take your sin to the cross and nail it there and leave it there. Jesus, ask Jesus to completely wipe your conscience clean and then trust God to keep his promise. Don't doubt that he has forgiven your sin because when you doubt that, you're doubting the power of the cross. Ask God to give you the strength to believe, to give you the faith to believe that your sins are forgiven. Good Friday is good news because you've been made alive together with Christ and Good Friday is good news because all your transgressions have been forgiven. And finally, Good Friday is good news because Satan is defeated. Now, some of you may know I'm a Cardinal fan. Sorry, Samuel Warner, I, Trevor Powell's. I, I don't apologize for being a Cardinal fan, but I know you don't like them. But I, I love it. I love a good come-from-behind victory when it's my team that's coming from behind. And so I, I want to confess to you tonight that I occasionally pop the DVD from Game 6 of the 2011 World Series in and watch it. I love to watch it. I love to see the Rangers celebrating because they were, they were one out and one strike away from the World Championship, right? And they're celebrating. I'd like to see him cut the shot away to Nolan Ryan and he's all smug. And then, bang, David Freeze hits a triple. Oh, but we've got to have more, right? We've got to have more drama. Uh, what am I trying to say? Drama. 
And so Josh Hamilton hits a home run. Now we're down by two again, right? And they're celebrating. And then Lance Berkman happens, and he ties the game. And then David Freeze to the center field greenery. We will see you tomorrow night, right? And I like to see the looks in the faces of the Ranger players as they come off the field. As they're sitting in the dugout watching the Cardinals celebrate. I imagine that on the night of Good Friday, Satan and his minions were celebrating the death of Jesus. Satan thought he had won a big victory. I can see them. I just can imagine them shouting and screaming and waving towels. But the game wasn't over. The celebration was a little early. Jesus, as I said earlier, didn't stay dead. And when Jesus burst forth out of that tomb that Sunday morning, it wasn't just a victory over death. It was a victory over the one who had the power of death. Look at Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself, this is Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And in case you don't know who that is, the writer of Hebrews says, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus destroyed Satan by his death and resurrection. If you are a child of God, you are no longer enslaved to Satan. Look what it says in verse 15 of our passage. It says, Jesus disarmed Satan and his demons, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. Satan has been cast down to earth. No more can he stand before God and accuse you of sin. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Satan has been defeated and destroyed. And while he has been loosed on earth for a little while, he's like a dog chained to a stake. He can go so far and no farther. Satan cannot do anything to God's people that God does not permit. And while God's people ought to be, as Peter says, watchful and alert because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for souls to destroy. He is like a dead spirit walking. His destiny is the lake of fire. Therefore, child of God, do not listen to his lies about your sin. He has 
no authority to accuse you nor condemn you. It is God who justifies. It is God's word that will stand forever, not Satan's. And if you're clinging to the cross of Jesus for your salvation, God's word says this, says that you, in your union with Christ, you are perfectly righteous. Your sins are forgiven, and there remains no condemnation for sin. You are God's beloved child. Good Friday is good news because your sins are forgiven. Good Friday is good news because you've been made alive together with Christ. And Good Friday is good news because Satan is defeated. But Good Friday is good news only if you are trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your for the forgiveness of your sin and your salvation from the wrath of God. If you are rejecting Jesus as your king, Good Friday is bad news for you. Don't be like the Jews. Don't reject God's free gift of salvation that he brings through faith. God sent his only son. Listen to the testimony in the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God gave a costly gift to you, his precious and only Son. And I warn you that while Jesus didn't come the first time to condemn the world, he will come back, and he will come back as judge. I plead with you to receive the gift of salvation that comes through faith, trusting that Jesus' death on the cross brought forgiveness for your sin. Submit yourself to Jesus as your king. And while others come to take communion, I encourage you to stay in your seat and pray. Pray silently and ask God, to reveal to you the truth of the gospel, to give you the faith to believe, give you the ability to respond to him. And then come talk to me or one of the pastors afterward or fill out a connection card and drop it in the offering box and back. We'd love to reach out to you and talk further about the gospel with you. But for those of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, whether you're a member of this church or not, if you've been baptized in a church in affirmation of your profession of faith, we invite you to come and take communion with us. We have the elements of communion on three carts up here in front. What we do is we exit our rows to the left, come to the front, pick up the elements, and return to our seats on the right. 
And tonight, I'm going to ask you to hold on to those, and then we'll all take the elements of communion together. So when you're ready, if you should, you may now come and pick up the wafer and the juice.